0: Well, wow, thank you, thank you very much, and good morning, everybody. And um, let me just ask you a, a question to start with. And the question is this: Where will your faith be in ten years' time? Where will your faith be in ten years' time? It's a question I heard asked over the summer, about a month ago, of thousands of young people at an event called New Day. And um, the speaker was asking the young people, where will your faith be in 10 years? You know, note it down, 31st of July, 2024, where will your faith be? And I just remember thinking, that's an excellent question for the young people, because, you know, as much as I thank God for all the young people I've seen get very excited about God at New Day, and who praise God are still going strong, they're still going for it. I can also think of many young people who have got very excited about God at New Day or an event like that, and where are they now? They've kind of drifted away. The distractions of life have come in. But as I thought about that, I thought, but of course, it's not just a good question for young people. Where will my faith be in 10 years? Where will your faith be in 10 years? I think we know what we'd like the answer to be. Those of you who are Christians, I think we know what we'd like the answer to be. I'd like to be going strong. I'd like my faith to be growing, be more mature, be closer to God, be following him, following his purposes for my life, all those kind of things. But how do we know how do we know? Because again, I've seen too many people start the Christian faith really well, but then as soon as some opposition comes along, a challenge comes along, they fall away. And church leaders, even, you know, people who have been Christians for many, many years, high profile church leaders, people with big ministries who have tragically fallen away for various reasons. Where will your faith be in 10 years, and how do you know? Well, as Neil said, we're looking at Hebrews 12. It's a very well-known passage, just the first three verses, because I think it gives us a bit of help with this. So if you've got a Bible, Hebrews 12, 1 to 3, or it will come up on the screen. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses that the writer there is talking about what he's been writing in Hebrews 11, the the previous chapter. He's listed all these Old Testament heroes of faith, people who can testify to the power and the faithfulness of God because of what God has done in them, through them. And so that's this cloud of witnesses. And so he's saying, therefore, since we're surrounded by this inspiring cloud of witnesses, well then let us throw off everything that hinders as a a marathon. Um, Actually, the Greek word is agona, which is where we get our word agony. So it kind of gives us an insight into the sort of thing we're talking about here, that, that it's hard. Actually, this race, the Christian life, is hard. There are struggles. It's not without its difficulties. But the writer to the Hebrews here gives us three keys to help us run this race well and to still be running it well in 10 years' time. The first key is what we must reject. And then he tells us how we must run this race. And then finally, he tells us where we must look. So first of all, what we must reject. Well, the first thing that we're told to reject is everything that hinders you. Throw off everything that hinders you, everything that weighs you down, everything that, that gets in the way, everything that makes running this race, following the call of God in your life, more difficult. Anything which restricts your movement and restricts your activity. You know, if you ever watch an athletics meeting or the Olympics and you've got the athletes lined up there on the track before the race, they're at the start line, what do they do before the race? Well, they they take stuff off and they remove everything that hinders them. They strip right down to the lightest, most streamlined clothing possible. You know, they're not going to run this race wearing their big winter jacket because that will get in the way. It's going to slow them down. It's going to stop them running Well, their footwear is designed to be as light and as grippy as possible. Everything they do in those moments is going towards running this race as well as they possibly can. And anything which might slow them down, anything which might create drag, anything which might hinder them is removed, it's got rid of. So the question is, what sort of things can hinder you, can hinder us, in this race of the Christian life? Because we need to have a look at our lives, we need to evaluate things. In our life, because all sorts of things can hinder us, even good things can hinder us in this race. You know, we see it in Paul's letter he writes to the Galatians. He, he writes this letter to the Galatians because something's gone wrong with them, and he's, he's writing to them saying, Look, what happened? You started so well. I was there. I saw you come to faith. You started so well, so strong. What happened? What hindered you? Now, in their case, it was legalism. But that was brought about by listening to the wrong people, listening to the wrong voices. Now, that can be a huge trap for us. Who do you listen to? Who? What voices do you allow to shape you? What influences you? Because not all voices you might listen to are good. You know, even where well, we might expect them to be good. Do you, do you know, not everything on God TV is good. Not every Christian blog you might read is good. What about advice? Where do you go for advice? Who, who, who is the person who, who kind of has your ear and, uh, you know, and what are their lives like? Because I find it amazing how readily people whose lives are an absolute mess will give you all the wisdom and advice that they can about life. And if you would just stop for a minute and think about where their wisdom has got them, you would run a mile from any advice they might give. But who, who are you listening to? Who are you going to for advice. Now, you need people who are going to be the voice of Jesus for you. You need people who are going to bring the wisdom of Jesus into your life, even when that's hard, even when it's really not what you want to hear. But anything else hinders you. Any other influence, any other advice will hinder you in the race. Or maybe it's about how you spend your time. How do you spend your time? What do you give your time to? Do you claim to not have enough time to pray, not enough time to read the Bible, and yet significant chunks of your day are given to Facebook, to Twitter, to the TV, all those sorts of things. And they're, they can all be good things. I use all of those things, but I know they can be a huge danger for me, a huge trap for me, because something that can easily hinder me is getting stuck in lethargy and and apathy, and it's usually linked to when I've given too much of my time to those kind of things, given too much of my time to entertainment, to to things which really don't feed my soul. What are you giving your time to? And actually, maybe for you, as well as the time that you give to those kind of things, what about the content? Is that hindering you? What, what, What are you watching on the TV? What are you looking at on the internet? What are you allowing in through your eyes? Because it can hinder you in this race or maybe for you it's disappointment maybe disappointment hinders you maybe you had big plans you had big expectations of what god was going to do in you through you of where god was going to lead you you know i was going to i was going to be a church leader i or i i, I thought god was going to bring me the perfect relationship the perfect marriage the perfect family or i i was sure that god was I was sure I was going overseas on mission. You know, I I really thought God was going to use me in that way. Now listen, expectation is not a bad thing if it's centered on a promise of God. You know, pursue the promises of God over your life, but make sure that they are the promises of God. And that your focus is not on the wrong thing that ultimately is born more out of your own desires than anything that God has said to you. Because that will lead to disappointment. It will lead to dejection. It will lead to depression. And that will hinder you in this race. It will hinder you in pursuing the purposes that God does have for you. Don't miss what God does have for you because you're chasing something else that he doesn't have. There are many things, could, you know, it could go on. There are many, many things that can hinder us in this race. Even good things, and often it might be good things that we just need to evaluate and maybe let go of. James Hudson Taylor was uh, his, the great 19th century missionary to China. Uh, amazing guy. He knew the call of God on his life from a young age, as a, as a teenager. He, he knew that God was calling him to go to China. He, it was absolutely certain, it was clear to him, that's where God is calling me to go. But there was a girl, a beautiful Christian girl, who he had fallen for. And he was having thoughts of marriage in his mind. The problem was she didn't have China in her heart. She didn't want to go to China. So he had to, he had to let that go. He had, to, he had to give that up and that caused great pain. But he had a prior call. He knew the race that he had to run. He knew the race that had been marked out for him and that would have hindered him in that race. That would have hindered him in following the promise of God. Even something that felt so good, something that felt so right, This was a lovely Christian girl who loved the Lord, but she didn't love China. He had to let it go. And you know, when you read the stories of those great missionaries of the past, people like Hudson Taylor or C.T. Studd or George Muller, those kind of people, these guys who were so passionate about winning the lost for Christ, and they were so passionate about the call of God on their lives, they would do anything to follow that call. They would give up anything to follow that call. Well, it's challenging. It's massively challenging, I think, to our westernized brand of Christianity that so often seeks selfish comfort and the easy life. It's challenging. You should read it. You should read some of this stuff. We've got to throw off everything that hinders, even even good things sometimes. Let us throw off everything that hinders, and, the writer goes on to say, and the sin that so easily entangles. Sin can ensnare you. I'm sure you're very well aware of that. Sin can entangle you, and it can take you out of the race. Not in terms of losing your salvation, but it, it will make you limp. It will mar your performance. It will take you out of the race. And, see, the thing is, even though the New Testament describes Christians, describes you as saints, you are holy ones. It never describes you as sinners. You're not, it's, the writer here is not writing to a bunch of miserable sinners, so you're going to sin, so just know about that. And no, no, he's writing to saints, holy ones. But even though you're described as saints, even though you are a new creation, even though when you're born again, your very nature changes, we live in a world that is not neutral. We live in a world that has a value system that is anti-God. And... And it will it will pull at you, it will tug at you to, to try and get you to, to think in in its ways. But you know, the wisdom of this world is foolishness to God. It's what we're told. It's foolishness. And we still have what the Bible calls the flesh. Even when you are born again, you still have the flesh. These old, old ways of thinking, old programming, old patterns of thought, and uh, that old sinful tendency, again, that pulls at you and tugs at you and urges you to act against your new nature. But you know, the pull of the world and the pull of the flesh, as strong as they can be, they're not too strong for you. They are not too powerful for you. Because if you believe this, if you believe the gospel, if you believe what it says in here, then you have been crucified to the world. And the world has been crucified to you. If you believe what this says in here, Romans 7 tells you, the power of sin is broken. Now, it might not always feel like it. But that's where you've got to believe the truth. You've got to believe what is true. The power of sin is broken. You are no longer a slave to sin. You can overcome sin. You don't have to bow to sin. But of course we also have an enemy. Satan. who uh, we, The Reve- book of Revelation says you know, he's accusing the people of God day and night before God. And he's described as being like a, a roaring lion who's prowling around looking for someone to devour. But you know we need to learn to put him in his place. To put him in his right place and recognize his lies for what they are. Because the reality is this. Satan can do nothing. He can put nothing in your way. He can do nothing to stop you running that race. He's a spectator. But he's a noisy spectator. He's a spectator who will shout out from the sidelines. Trying to distract you. Trying to get you to falter. Trying to get you to stop running. Trying to get you to change direction. And there are three main strategies that he will use. Temptation accusation and deception. So it might be for you that it's like an enticing, tempting voice coming from the sidelines. You're running along and you're feeling tired because there are moments in any race where you will feel tired and this voice comes and says, hey, come over here. Come over here. Just stop running for a minute. Just come over. Come and look. I've got something to show you. I've got something here that will make you feel better. You've got to look. You've got to look at this website. You will like it. I promise you. You know, Come on. Do you know what? No one will even know. You don't have to tell anyone about this. Just come. You know you want to. You know you need this to make you feel better. And of course, if you're tired and your resistance is low, you're off your guard. You get distracted and you fall into sin. Or it might be a, an accusing voice. This is a, a classic one, really. An accusing voice coming from the sidelines, like you're really not doing very well, are you? You're very slow. You're way behind everybody else. Why don't you just stop and give up? Call yourself a Christian when you've just done that. When you've just said that. You call yourself a Christian, really? You know, call yourself a Christian mum. I just, I saw how you just lost it with your kids. You see that one over there. She doesn't ever do that. She's a good Christian. But you, I'm sure you know it. I'm sure you've heard that voice before. Why don't you just give up, sit down, shut up, stop running. You're a failure. You're not cut out for this. Or you might just shout out plain lies to deceive you. You might say, you know, hey, you're running really, really well, but the finishing line isn't that way. It's over there. Change direction. Go for that instead. You know, success, status, those are the things you need to go for in life because that's, that will bring you happiness. Go for that instead. Or, you know, money. The the more money you can accumulate, the happier you will be. In fact, actually, the more money you accumulate, that's a sure sign that God is on your side because He will bless you for being faithful, and and that your prosperity will be a sign of that. We've heard that one before. Go that way, or that relationship—that's that's that's the key to your happiness. You've got to have that to make you happy. Go. That's what God wants. God wants you to be happy. Go that way. Don't go that way. The road that way is really hard. Go that way instead. He just shouts out lies. Plain lies. Satan will try to get us into patterns of uh, sin. He'll try to get us into negative, worldly patterns of thought. And some Christians get defeated. They listen to the lies and they get defeated and they sit down and they stop running. Or they might stand and argue with these thoughts that are coming, but they're not making any progress in the race. But you know, Christians who know the truth, Christians who know the truth of the Bible, the word of God, they can keep running. And actually, they can swat away the lies because they know the truth. They recognize them as lies. James chapter 4 says, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. It's a promise of God. Submit to him, that's very important. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Look, you'll have to come on the Freedom in Christ course next year if you want to learn more about this. But um, the point is, don't get taken out of the race by sin. Paul writes to Timothy about his dear friend and ministry partner called Demas, who, he says, he's he's deserted me. He's been with me all this time, and now he's deserted me, basically because he loved the world too much. He got taken out. He got sabotaged. He got lured away. And as I said earlier, I've seen too many people in that same position. Too many people get tragically taken out of the race by sin. You have a daily decision to make. It is a daily decision. Actually, it's an hour-by-hour decision. Am I going to live today according to the flesh or am I going to live according to the spirit am I going to follow the easy road or am I going to follow the hard road am I am I going to listen to God's voice or am I going to listen to the voice of the enemy so we're told what we must reject what we must throw off everything that hinders the sin that so easily entangles then we're also told how we must run we must run this race with perseverance perseverance How do you deal with trials and suffering in your life? How do you respond to circumstances that you really would rather not go through, you would rather avoid if possible? And I know that covers a huge range of things. I know there are people here today who have suffered unimaginable things. And we know very well there are people in the world, there are Christians, many Christians in the world today, who are undergoing the most terrible persecution, terrible things, happening to them. So this is not to minimise any of that. It's not to minimise what you're going through or what anyone else is going through. But how do you respond to adversity in your life? Is it a response of kind of, where have you gone, God? Why, Why have you let this happen to me? Why have you abandoned me? Or actually, is it ultimately a response of trust? And I say ultimately, because of course depending on your circumstances or the grief you're going through or the trauma you've gone through, of course you ask questions like that. It's very natural to ask why. It's very natural to be angry, to be sad. To... But ultimately, is it a response of trust? Is it a response that goes in line with Romans eight twenty eight, where you say, look, I know, I know you are working for my good. Even in this, even though I, I can't see the point of this, I don't understand this, I, even though this is painful, I trust you. I I believe you. And I believe you will use this to strengthen me. I believe you will use this to draw me closer to you. What are you doing in me? What are you teaching me through this, Lord? Because facing difficulty and being abandoned by God are two very different things, but they can often feel the same. And that's where the truth needs to come in. That's where truth needs to win out. He hasn't abandoned you. He is for you. He is with you. And yes, even in these circumstances, he is working for your good. So running with perseverance is about believing God. It's about believing him, not sticking your head in the sand, not stoically gritting your teeth and just, just getting through it, but about believing the wonderful truth and faithfulness of God. And we have this cloud of witnesses, as I mentioned before. The writer talks about in Hebrews 11, this cloud of witnesses who bear witness to God's faithfulness. So one of the people in there is Moses. You know, so Moses could say to us, look, we we were in a really tight spot. We were there at the Red Sea, and the Egyptian army are coming. We're trapped. There's no way out. We were done for. But you never guess what happened next. God spoke. And he parted the Red Sea, and we went through the sea, and it swallowed up the Egyptians. It was amazing. You know, I would never have thought of it, but God spoke. He did it. And Moses might be able to say, that at the time, I'd really rather not have been going through that situation because it was scary. But I'm really glad we did because what we saw was the faithfulness of God. We saw the power of God. That means I can tell you he is faithful. Believe him. Believe God. Even in the, the darkest situations, even in the tightest corners of life, believe him because he is faithful. Or it might be for you, perseverance is more about um, faith. And patience. So another person mentioned in Hebrews 11 is Abraham. Abraham had to wait a long, long time for the promise of God to be fulfilled in his life. And it looked impossible. But he believed God. And I mentioned this earlier, but you know it might be that you feel certain that God has promised you something. Certain about a promise of God over your life. And it hasn't happened. And actually maybe it really doesn't look very likely at all. Well, persevere. Persevere. Keep pressing on with expectation, but also with patience. Don't get passive about it. Don't get resigned about it. Because if it is God's promise, it will happen. If it's not God's promise, ask Him to make that clear to you. But if there is a promise of God over your life, pursue it. Don't get passive. Pursue it. Get into training. Get prepared. Back to Hudson Taylor. When he, when the call of God in his life became clear to him, he, He started to get prepared immediately, even though at the time he was just a teenager. He wasn't going to China yet. It wasn't going to happen yet. But he started to get prepared. He he started to exercise more, and he he exchanged his feather mattress for a hard mattress. Because he's anticipating life in China is not going to be all that comfortable. It's not going to be easy. I'm going to prepare myself now. He started to learn about China. He studied the language. He started to work among the poor where he was, in his own community. He didn't just wait God's promised I'm going to China, I'm just going to sit here and wait. God to wave his magic wand and put me there, because he would have been totally unprepared. No, he got on with it. He got into action, he got into training, he prepared himself, even at times when getting to China really didn't seem like it was going to happen. It didn't seem likely at all. So we're called to run this race with perseverance. Run with perseverance. If we can receive hardship in our lives with humility, with an attitude of trust an attitude of belief and submission to God, then we will run with perseverance. And hardship will look different for everybody. You know, you will go down some path in your life that other people don't have to go down because it's the race that has been marked out for you. It says it here. It's the race that has been marked out for you and it's different for everyone. There may be roads that you go down in life that actually just seem utterly pointless. You think, why... You're just left wondering, what was that about? Why did I have to go through that? I can see no no point in that. And you know, even at times when you can't see the point, it's still about believing God. It's still about trusting God, that even though you can't see the point, that actually there is one. There is a point, and God is working. I can't see how any good could possibly come of this. But God is working in it. And it's about trusting him in that. You know, it's tempting to look for shortcuts as well, isn't it? There are, like I said, there are circumstances we really don't want to go through. I, I remember um, doing cross-country running at school, and I wasn't a fan, to be honest. It wasn't my favorite time of the week, cross-country running. And I remember doing a cross-country run, running along, kind of towards the back, um, and just thinking, I know a better way. And of course, that was a shorter way. So what I did, I kind of lagged right to the back and then I veered off down this alleyway. And um, I thought, my plan was, I'm going to wait at the end of this alleyway because I know these guys, they're, they're running around there, around there, all around the roads, and then they're going to come back past here. And what they'll do, when they've all gone past, I'll just get myself into the middle because I don't want to finish last. Get myself into the middle, inconspicuous, and just finish the race, expending considerably less energy than everybody else. And so I did that and I waited and I thought, after a while past, I thought, where are they? <laughs> and a bit more time passed. I thought, have I got this wrong? Have I got the route wrong? And maybe they're not running past here at all. Maybe they're running around. And I thought, I better go because I will finish last. I don't want to finish last. And um, so I went. And the problem is I had made a slight miscalculation because actually I finished first. <laughs> and that raised a considerable amount of suspicion <laughs> about the way I had run this race. But you know, the thing is, ultimately, of course, that didn't serve me very well. One, because I got in trouble for cheating. But secondly, because actually the whole point of training, of course, is that you you build up stamina. You're pushing your body to build up stamina for the next time. To be able to run better, run longer, run harder in the future. So you can persevere in the future. And it's the same with our faith. If our faith is never tested, if it's never pushed, if it's never stretched, it won't grow, it'll never grow, it'll never get stronger. But we do need to be prepared for that. Just like Hudson Taylor, he prepared himself for for hardship in China, the conditions he would face. We need to be prepared, as much as you can be, for hardship and suffering. We need to have an expectation for hardship and suffering, which sounds a bit bleak. But actually, if our expectation of life is that it will be comfortable, if our purpose in life is to maximize our comfort here and now, then suffering will destroy you. And it will take you out of the race. A guy called John Aquery, he was a Tanzanian marathon runner who competed in the 1968 Olympics. And he was running along in this marathon. And along the way, he had a really bad fall. He he cut himself, he dislocated his knee, he hurt his shoulder. But he got up, and he got strapped up, and he carried on going. Limping, really. But he, he kept going till the end. Now... He finished last, out of the competitors. There were many people who didn't finish the race, but out of those who did finish, he was, of course, last. He was over an hour behind the winner. He came into the stadium when most of the crowds had gone home, and the sun had set. And there was an interviewer asked him after, why did you carry on running? Why didn't you just drop out like some of those other guys? Why did you carry on? He said, my country did not send me 5,000 miles to start the race. They sent me 5,000 miles to finish the race. And persevering in this race, of course, ultimately means finishing well. Whenever that may be, are you going to finish well? We sang the song this morning. On that day when my strength is failing, my time is, what is it? My time, the end draws near, my time has come. Still, my soul will sing your praise unending. Is that you? Will that be you? Do you have that determination that you are going to finish this race well? You're going to finish strong? You're going to to run a good race? Run the race marked out for you with perseverance is what we're told to do. So we're told what we must reject, we're told how we must run, and then finally we're told where we must look. So verse 2 says, Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, And sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him. Consider Jesus. Who endured such opposition from sinful men. So that you will not grow weary. And lose heart. See, We can be inspired by this cloud of witnesses. We can be inspired by the lives of others in this church. There are many, many people in this church. Your lives inspire me. Utterly. Those who have been running this race for a long time. Those who have gone through all sorts of suffering trials. That I, I would never want to go through. You, you absolutely inspire me, but only Jesus can strengthen you. They can't actually strengthen you. Only Jesus, we can't run this race without him. You know, we could plod along for a bit in our own strength, but you will get tired and you will drop out we need his strength you know when you're running in a race you need to have your eyes focused on something ahead something distance and particularly when you're running uphill if you if you run along looking at the ground looking at your feet you'll get tired very very quickly you need to have your eyes focused on something ahead there's a lady called Florence Chadwick who was a long distance swimmer and uh, in 1952 she attempted to swim 26 miles between Catalina Island and the Californian coastline and um, about 15 hours into this swim a thick fog set in and she started to lose heart. She just surrounded by fog and she starts to doubt her ability and she, she went on swimming for about another hour but then she gave up. And it was only when she got onto the boat that she realized she had, she had stopped just a mile short of her destination. Two months later she tried again. Same thick fog set in but this time she succeeded and she said the difference was that she kept a mental image of the shoreline in her mind As she swam, she had her eyes fixed on the goal. She had her eyes fixed on something, even in the fog, even in the struggle, even in the time of weakness. She had her eyes fixed on the prize. Where are your eyes fixed? Where are your eyes fixed? Because to look at Jesus, to fix your eyes on Jesus means looking away from other things. It means looking away from rival attractions. It means looking away from any other distractions and keeping our eyes fixed on the one who has gone ahead of us. The one who's walked this path ahead of us. The one who's run this race ahead of us. The one who has been tempted in every way. The one who has suffered in ways deeper than we ever will and deeper than we will ever, ever understand. He is our forerunner. He's our champion. He's our king. Jesus, he's the basis of our faith and he's the means of our faith and he's the fulfillment of our faith and he suffered, he suffered the agony of the cross alone for the joy set before him. Now, what was what was that joy? Well, he came to redeem something. Jesus came to earth, God become man, God with us, came to earth to redeem something, to win a prize, to, to get a bride, his church. That's you and me. We were the joy set before him. That's a pretty astounding, pretty astounding thought. And he endured the cross for that. He endured that suffering for that. In a way, you could say, as Jesus suffered, he, he was looking at you. So in your suffering, keep your eyes fixed on him. Keep seeking him. Where are your eyes fixed? Where are your eyes fixed? Don't be concerned with anything else. Nothing else is worth it. Don't be concerned with anything else. Don't let your gaze, don't let your attention be taken by anything else because anything else is secondary. Anything else must line up and take its place behind Jesus in your heart. You know what? Don't even be too concerned with where he's leading you. Another great line I heard over the summer, it doesn't matter where God is leading you, just that he is leading you. Don't get too concerned about those things. Just make sure you are following him. Do you know what? I thank God that I can't see the whole path set out before me that I can't see the extent of the race, because I think some of the potholes in the hills might cause me just to give up or to seek shortcuts. Fix your eyes on Jesus. He he will lead you through. He will give you the strength to do it. So where will your faith be in 10 years' time? Will you have been taken out of the race? Will you have fallen by the wayside? Will you be limping along? Do you love this world too much? Will your gaze have been taken by something else? Has your gaze been taken by something else that is not Jesus? Or will you be running with perseverance, the race marked out for you, continuing to throw off everything it hinders, being ruthless with sin in the pursuit of holiness, and getting up quickly when you stumble and fall, and always with your eyes fixed, On Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. And pressing on, along with the Apostle Paul, pressing on towards the prize for which God has called you heavenward. Where will your faith be in ten years? The hymn writer Charles Wesley, he ran a good race. And on his deathbed, he was reflecting on a couple of verses from Psalm 73, which, which said, Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail. But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. And as he reflects on those verses, he called his wife to his side and he dictated his his last words to her, very eloquent last words. He said, in age and feebleness extreme, what shall a sinful worm redeem? Jesus. Jesus, my only hope thou art. Strength of my failing flesh and heart. Oh, could I catch a smile from thee? And drop into eternity. Where will your faith be in ten years? Because you see nothing and no one even comes close to Jesus. No one can touch him. No one comes close to him. So fix your eyes on him. And run a good race. Amen.